Hey, you guys, we want to share a trigger warning. In this episode, we're discussing self-harm, including the taking of one's own life. Usually, this is where we ask that if this subject is triggering, please don't listen. However, we want you to know that if you choose to listen, this isn't a downer discussion. It's real, honest, but we aim to make it uplifting. We're going to discuss how the subject matter has affected us personally and why we're grateful for life and joyous about living. Okay, so the choice is yours. Either way, if you listen or don't, you're awesome. You're valuable and you are without a doubt loved by more people than you realize. Got it? Let's start the show. When it rains, it pours. Her cat died. She's fired from her job. Her brother doesn't want to see her. She doesn't feel needed, and the day's rejections go on. She looks back at her life, and all she sees is regret. Fed up, she makes the decision to escape, which leads to opportunity. The woman, Nora Seed. The book, The Midnight Library. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Hey readers, this is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Showing up on the get down, yes. Ah, Kari, 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 how's it going? What are you doing? What are you liking? What are you hating these days? This week has been a blur, so I don't really have anything insightful for you. But, you yeah. know, I'm here. I'm happy. I'm good. How you doing? I, you know, I feel the same, but that's like for the past year or so. I, I really have yeah, to make yeah. a note when I... um. I have something to offer because I don't remember what I've done during the week. And on that note, let's move it right along. Relatable. Okay. Now it's time for society. Oh, it says, is? Oh, that's really fast. Yes, go ahead, yes go where ahead. we share your comments, readers, with the rest of our lit society. Kari, is there a comment you thought? particularly Litty. There is. Now, we recently ran a survey on our Instagram account. Thank you all for responding. Yes, um, this we was, love those. Yeah, it's actually still going because it's hard to get through all of you. But we're asking, you know, first of all, how did you hear about our show? And second, if you had to change one thing, what would it be? And I want to share something that Brittany Wilt has allowed me to share. Um, her IG handle is Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y, uh, W-I-L-L-I-T. And she says, oh, my gosh, I recently read Rebecca and was dying to see if I could find some podcasts talking about it. So I just did a search in it for Apple Podcasts and um, discovered your show. I haven't listened cool. to too many episodes yet, but so far I love it. I've tried a few other podcasts about books, but yours has been my favorite. Your <laughs> conversations just feel so relaxing and fun. I honestly don't have anything I would say to change. I personally love the mix of classics with contemporary and hope you keep that up. Thanks for reaching out. Thank you, Brittany, for your yeah, comment you. and for we giving us like that. such a yeah, giving us such a detailed answer. Uh, we're really grateful for your support. So thanks for listening to our show. And if you ever do have any c criticism, you know, send it our way. We love to hear it. What about you, you, Alexis? Did you have any comment you'd like to share that was like so lit? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think 
any feedback um, we get because it takes so much time to share your feedback. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you just don't get it when people ask for feedback. So the fact that we're actually getting it, I think is a good thing. So I um, also have a response from the survey we sent out as well. Okay, cool. And this one is from Matthew Shreve. And it says, I've been listening for about a year. I love that. Let me start with it. Yeah, and I think you. I found your podcast from a Stitcher ad or possibly an ad from another podcast. You're in my top three podcast. <laughs> Thank here. you. And I listen to several dozen on a regular basis. Your show has a nice balance of information and humor book review and personal chat. I love how it all works together. If anything were to change, I hope you keep that balance. You've also helped helped me in deciding what is and isn't worth reading. No shade to the books that don't make the list, but I'm a student and time is precious. Love you both. <laughs> Thank oh, you so you. much, Matthew. You. We love you and we appreciate the feedback. Thanks so much. Remember, readers, to have your comments shared. Message us on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, or, and we especially love it when you do this, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Do it. All right. Can I just say something about our Instagram? We put, you know, a lot of work into making sure it represents us well as people and our show. But can I just tell you that one of our videos has already surpassed 13,000 views. And guess what it is? No, which one? Our producer, Zara, the perfect cat reading a book. Because Zara is cute. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. That is it. Y'all don't care about us. Y'all here for the cat. And we love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Each week, readers, we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we are reading. This week's theme is How to Choose Happiness. Oh, what? How to Choose (laughs) Happiness? I didn't know we were going to discuss this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I want to keep it positive. Yeah. Um, Do you agree with the statement that happiness is a choice? No, (laughs) I don't. Okay. And I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, But what I found was two articles that provide tips. Uh, One was is from Mark and Angel Hack Life called 10 Ways Happy People Choose Happiness. And the other is The Way of Happiness from The Awake magazine. And I'm going to combine the comments with my input and list 10. List the 10. The first way is to choose choose to be the best you can be. Give your all in everything you do. Commit to your goals. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. The only person you should try to be better than is the person you were yesterday. Your biggest competition is you. And I'm sure you've heard this expression. Comparison is the biggest thief of joy. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Don't compare yourself to others. Mm -hmm. Two, choose to be around the right people. Spend time with nice people who are smart, driven, and like-minded. Relationships should help you, not hurt you. Surround yourself with people who reflect the person that you want to be. Choose friends who you are proud to know, people you admire, and who love and respect you. Avoid negative, air quote, friends. Mm -hmm. Three, choose to focus on what you have, not what you don't have. Be content. 
learn contentment. When you appreciate what you have, what you have appreciates in value. I like that. Can you say that again? When you appreciate what you have, what you have appreciates in value. I love that. Yeah. Being grateful brings you a deeper sense of happiness. And that's without having to go out and buy or acquire anything new. And I add to that, um, learn generosity. Generous Mm. people are happy because they enjoy making others happy. Yes. Number four, choose a good attitude. In one episode, we spoke about having our life planned out. Um, You can get in this mode of thinking, I'm supposed to be this or that. And when we haven't achieved this or that, it can affect our entire mood and attitude every day. So we can look at our life and feel like we need to give up because we haven't gotten as far as we'd like to be instead of looking at how far we've actually come. Yes. Mm -hmm. This moment, like every moment, is a precious gift and an opportunity. So we need to be positive, smile, make it count. Pretend today is going to be great. You know the expression, fake it till you make it. Shoot. (laughs) (laughs) It's a shoot at the end of that. Fake it till you make it. Shoot. Put that on the t-shirt, the Society (laughs) Podcast. Thank you. Research shows that although we think that we act because of the way we feel. In fact, we often feel because of the way we act. Girl. Mm. Girl. Yes. <laughs> Knowledge, right? I feel like I, I'm just listening to the show like I ain't on it. I'm in my car like, yes, girl, say it. Right. A great <laughs> attitude leads to great experiences. Focus on positive thoughts. Five, choose to smile more often. A smile is a choice. It's not a miracle. And don't wait for other people to smile. Show them how. Do you know how to show somebody how to smile? No, you smile at them. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) A genuine smile makes you. Genuine, genuine. Mm -hmm. And everyone around you feel better. A simple act of smiling sends a message to your brain that you're happy. And when you're happy, your body pumps out all kinds of feel-good endorphins. Smiling actually makes you happier. I'm going to take a pause right here. And again, when I ask you um, about choosing happiness, I'm not talking about if you have any um, mental um, mental so issues. if I can just interrupt you, I don't think this has ever happened on our show But in two minutes, you have completely changed my mind about something I thought was fact. (laughs) I am now, from those two minutes, absolutely sure you can choose to be happy. And yeah, Mm -hmm. when you asked me, I was thinking of people who have circumstances in life who are, um, especially those who uh, have odds stacked against them, whether it be mm-hmm. from birth because of their families um, or because of mental strains, anxieties, and yes, even mental illnesses. But I'm thinking of people I know w- with those issues and they're happy people. And they're happy people. <laughs> so what yes. am I talking about? It's like, I know people who can't read, um, who um, have strains in life because other people who should have showed up for them. And by the way, just a little side note, all the people in my life who cannot read, and I don't mean that figuratively, figuratively, I mean, they are illiterate. They all graduated from high school. 
So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> the um, public school system has failed them and possibly even family members around them. These are mm-hmm. happy people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think about people who uh, suffer from mental illness, depression, and while mm-hmm. they have bouts of unhappiness, overall, mm-hmm. they are happy people. Yeah. So, yes, thank you for that. I was going to say um, I am of the belief that you can choose to be happy. Me too. Always have been. (laughs) (laughs) And you can choose to be sad in some situations. And I have chosen on occasion to be sad and to wallow in sadness. And And both can be helpful, right? Especially when you're choosing. Yes. And I absolutely needed it at the time. But overall, I feel like I choose to be happy because there are so many things that I can allow to make me feel sad. And I'm even tearing up a little bit now, Mm -hmm. but there are things that I can choose to be sad about. But I have made a decision to be happy. Mm-hmm. So let me jump on to number six. No, we're going to stay here for a second. And you, <laughs> I'm going to make you cry. Ooh, I'm enjoying it. this. And that brings me to another thing. It's cathartic. Um, when you are choosing to be sad for another person. Um, so when someone in your life is so uh, humans are wonderfully multidimensional. We don't have to choose to be one thing. We can be multiple things at once and choosing to be sad because someone else you love is sad, um, whatever it be, if it's because they're grieving or because they're going through something, crying with someone can fill you with a satisfaction that is akin to happiness. Um, so that's a little note too. Like we don't just have to choose to be happy and be sad. Uh, everything in our life can be going great, but when someone we love uh, is affected by something, we cry with them and we fill their pain with them. And that's all mm-hmm. part of like being human so yeah yeah and the other way around so if everything in your life is falling apart and your friend is celebrating celebrate with that friend it ain't just about you it is because you can step you can step back into your sadness if you want to if you really feel like you need to it's it's possible to take a break from being sad and be (laughs) joyful and then just go back to being sad that's fine (laughs) I've been there I've done it I know how to do those things Also make a positive impact on your own. 
Do something that's greater than you, something that helps someone else to be happy or to suffer less. Number nine, choose forgiveness. Mm. Now, we talked about forgiveness in our Remembering Laughter episode, season one. That's a great show, by the way. A great mm-hmm. book, too. Yeah. yeah. That, was your pick. that can be, <clears throat> now, when I talk about forgiveness, that could be forgiving yourself or someone else. Forgiveness means letting go of anger, resentment, and thoughts of revenge. It doesn't mean condoning or minimizing poor behavior or pretending it didn't happen. Didn't, or pretending it didn't happen. Forgiveness leads to inner peace and healthy relationships. It's about letting go of that rawness. Like you mm-hmm. said, that anger. Yeah. Not completely yep. forgetting that that happened and maybe not even putting yourself in a position where you're with that person again because you know how they hurt you before. So right. it's fine to protect yourself. You can still be forgiving. Mm-hmm. Number 10. Choose to embrace the next step in life. You Mm. can hold on to the past or you can create your own happiness today. Never let success get to your head and never let failure get to your heart. Girl, let me write this down. (laughs) (laughs) Say that last part one more time, please. I'm for real. Never let success get to your head and never let failure get to your heart. Thank you. Every day is a new beginning and a new ending. Embrace it, make the best of it, smile. Keep looking straight ahead and don't forget a smile doesn't always mean a person is happy right now. Sometimes it simply means they are strong enough to face their problems going forward. And that, those are the top 10 on how to choose to be happy. The choice is yours. Choose happiness. Kari? That's what I always say. (laughs) (laughs) Choose. I'll be telling people, choose happiness, girl. You can do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If anybody knows something about me, they know I say that all the time. Right. Uh huh. For real. I love that. I feel so full. Thank you. (laughs) That means that my circumstances don't have to dictate my joy in life. That whatever happens to me, I can hold on to my joy. Let's take it then a quick break before we jump into the author and context. Okay, let's do it. And we're back. Kari, can you give us some context? background on our author Matt Haig. Sure, yeah. Um I follow Matt on IG. Oh, um, cool. But I don't really I didn't really know much about who he was and his personal um story. So I read this article from The Guardian and it's titled Matt Haig, I wanted to end it all, but surviving and thriving is the lesson I pass on. Um, And it taught me some things about him. First of all, at 24, he wanted to kill himself. Now he's a novelist. He teaches and um, he teaches the readers of his books and his children how to get through when the future looks bleak. And his story um, surrounding self-harm and taking his life or the attempt to started on a September day in Ibiza, the air scented with sea and pine. Matt Haig, then 24 years old, walked to a cliff edge planning to jump he stopped one step away and the point from uh, when he took his life to when he chose not to milliseconds but the Mm. effect to him everyone he knows everyone who's ever known him 
um, astronomical. So happy you didn't take that jump, Matt. Um, His breakdown in 1999 had happened when he was living with his girlfriend, Andrea, who's now his wife in Ibiza. And in Reasons to Stay Alive, he describes how what started with a strange flickering inside his head soon felt as if the Big Bang had blown him to pieces. Um, We talked about this uh, last week. Um, My husband called it the call of the void. Uh, You can have suicidal thoughts and not be a suicidal person. We did talk about that. Yeah. But especially if you are suffering from depression, those suicidal thoughts can become more present until they're always with you like a friend you can't shake. And I do mean a friend because those thoughts can become um, like pleasurable. Um, And what my husband was explaining, just to be clear, isn't that he had those thoughts, but that there's a name for that. Um, what was the name of it again? I think it's called the call of the void. When you're um, okay. looking down at imminent death, perhaps off of a cliff and that call to just do it. And it speaks to um, a looming anxiety that all of us on some level feel, even mm. when we are happy people and everything seems to be going well. Um, the temptation to harm self or to take one's life can come like a flicker. And you're like, where did that thought come from? Yes, that's something to pay attention to um, because it can grow more persistent. And we definitely want to get help before then. Um, In his case, in Matt's case, um, after he decided not to step off that ledge, the couple, him and Andrea, flew home and spent a year living with his parents. He, in his case, chose to reject medical solutions such as antidepressants or sedatives um, and chose instead to have a combination of like time, love, reading and exercise, which slowly helped him bring his mind back together. After a year, uh, they moved out and he began writing his books, both adult and children's fiction, became award winning bestsellers. And that's partially probably because of how honest he is about his own experience in his writings. Mm. Um, and then he says in his own words how he got to this place where he could share his story and write books like The Midnight Library. He says, and I'm quoting here, it took 10 years for me to even talk to anyone who wasn't my partner or my parents about my breakdown. Reasons to Stay Alive was published in 2015, and that's when the children, his children, learned that I had something called depression. They would hear me talking to a journalist or come to a book event. I'd be like hypocritical if I tried to keep it from them. So he wanted to share that part of himself with his children. My whole view, he says, is that my problems were caused by not being comfortable talking about that stuff. So there was never one big conversation. It just slowly bled in. Um, So um, and that's got to be a difficult decision to make as a parent. You want to prepare your children for these feelings that they, too, might have one day. Mm. Let them know I had it, but I'm still here. And you, too, uh, can survive past these feelings of bleakness. Um, So that's a little bit about Matt Haig. Now he's a successful author who uh, no doubt sometimes still battles, but he is winning his battle with depression. Thanks for sharing that, Kari. That was really interesting information about Matt Haig. Yeah, no um, problem. And again, that's from The Guardian. Okay. So you can find that article online. 
Now let's share a brief synopsis without spoilers before our deep dive. Okay. A story about life, living, and the regrets in between, The Midnight Library is a unique invention created to tell a universal truth by means of a fantastical machine. It allows the reader to make some secret personal applications with the lessons of our protagonist, her desire to end it all. It is our better self begging us to listen, putting the medicine in the candy, and it does it all within 300 pages. Alexis, what were your first thoughts about The Midnight Library? Um, the Midnight Library was introduced to me by my therapist. She mentioned it at a um, during the session, and I don't remember the context uh, or what she even said about it, but she thought I would enjoy reading it. And, and she knows I have a, a podcast and she mentioned how popular it was. So I wrote it down because I was going to look it up later. Then a few days later, you mentioned it to me. <laughs> and then after, you know, it was on our list. You know, I like almost anything to do with the library. So I was excited to read it um, and just really get in because, again, I didn't remember what the therapist said about it. I just remember interesting read. Um, you might want to, you might like it. And so I wrote it down. So I was looking forward to reading it. I had no idea what it was about. I didn't read any synopsis about it or anything. I just went into it like, huh? What? <laughs> Blind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was, that was my first impression. Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? There's a genre of books about um, depression and death that people really get into. And I think if you're a fan of perhaps, um, I am reads. I'm thinking of ending things, but that was a little too dark for you and you want something still real, but more uplifting Then you will enjoy the Midnight Library. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, are you ready to take this deep dive into the Midnight Library? Yeah, I got to tell you, it's been a while since I read this book, so I will need your help. OK, filled with spoilers. Please. Yes. I'm sorry. This will be a spoiler filled deep dive, as Alexis was trying to say before I cut her <laughs> off, as is my habit on this show and in real life. Um, yeah. So if you have details, please jump in and cut me off because I'm going to need those. If I forget okay. to mention some, be like, oh, and then blah, blah. OK, so here we go. It starts with a poem by Sylvia Plath. And Plath is a, a poet and writer who took her own life in 1963. Her poems, prose, and personal journals, uh, many of which were posthumously published, give us an insight into her thinking. And this is the poem that's included in the book. She says, I can never read all the books I want. I can never be all the people I want and live all the lives I want. I can never train myself in all the skills I want. And why do I want? I want to live and feel all the shades, tones, and variations of mental and physical experience possible in my life. Mm. And I think she um, said this like before she was 30 years old. Um, mm. So now let's go into our book. Part one, 19 years before her death day. So 19 years before she decided to die, sad Nora Seed her name is Nora C, but she's sad is what I'm saying, is playing a board game with her school librarian, Mrs. Elm. She's annoyed by the children outside um, and she's hiding inside the like organized civility of the library, something you can relate to, Alexis. So <laughs> the library is like her oasis from the foolishness of the children. 
The librarian is reminding Nora that she has her entire life ahead of her. You know, in passive conversation, she's like, Nora, you can do anything. You know how mm-hmm. adults talk to children. Um, she, You can be anything you want. Um, her future is unwritten and unbounded. The librarian, though, then receives a call, answers and responds, yes, she's right here. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. B, part B. I'm going to go A, B, C, D in the beginning. So that, okay. so that was A. B, yeah. 19 years later from that moment with the librarian, at 9 p.m., Nora is in her jammies looking through a magazine. She's lonely, waiting for something, anything to happen in her life. A bloke who once asked her out for a cup of coffee rings her doorbell. She puts on her house shoes to appear like more put together. <laughs> her house shoes. Yeah, okay. you know. Uh, she opens the door. Now, this guy is a doctor and he's out for a run. So he's got like a physique and he's successful. And mm. he, stopped by to, he stops by to, um, it seems, say hi. What? And okay. Nora's like fluffing her ponytail like, oh, hi. Um, so this is great, but no. He stopped by to tell her that her cat, Voltaire, a beautiful ginger cat. Oh, just as, just as Zara walks by. Yeah, my cat just walked by. Voltaire's Sorry. dead. Okay, let's move on. So uh, Nora walks outside to the body of her cat, who's on, laying on the side of the street. And she kneels beside Voltaire's furry body and looks at his peaceful closed eyes in a moment, she can't help but to feel one thing, envy. <clears throat> C, part C of part one. Nora works at a guitar songbook shop, <laughs> which is weird because why do you only need songbooks for guitars? Like sell songbooks for all instruments. <laughs> I don't know. I never <laughs> heard of that. So this is a guitar songbook shop. No need to remember this though, because the owner fires her for looking sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's been working there for 12 years. Say that again. He did say that. She's been there for 12 years, 11 months and three days. She's 35 years old. She's never even taken a sick day apart from when something happened with her mom. Both of her parents, by the way, are dead now. He brings up her her depression. It's a situational depression. She corrects him. The problem is that she keeps having new situations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love this. She's like, I'm not depressed. Like, you know, but it's situational. So when something bad in my life happens, I get depressed. But something bad keeps happening. Right. So today she's late, for example, because her cat died. Voltaire, remember you guys? And she couldn't sleep because her cat died. He mm-hmm. insists, though, that she must make more of her life. It's like he breaking up with her. Look, <laughs> this job, it's not making you happy. Jobs don't have to make you happy. We talked about that in the last episode. But anyway, uh, he believes it should. And he's like, this job ain't making you happy. You're running customers off because you look so sad. And he lets her go. C2. <laughs> Sorry, it's so confused. I don't know why I'm trying to be confused. It's fine. It's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> we also learn in this conversation that Nora broke off her engagement once upon a time, two days before her wedding. When this mm. happened, though, is unclear, but her ex fiance's life is chaos since she left him. She's not over him, but it is what it is. So they're mm-hmm. not together. She broke it off two days before their wedding and he like never recovered and she still misses him. But it is what it is. D. 
She then learns that her brother Joe was in town and didn't reach out to her. You guys, do you feel this? I've had this happen. Like when someone you love was in town <laughs> and someone is like, oh, did you see so-and-so? And you're like, like, what? Wait. That live in, um, you know, Canada or New York? Yeah, they was just here last week. <laughs> what? Well, it's even worse when they live right next door and they don't think nothing of it. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. So her brother Joe was in town and didn't reach out to her. He didn't even let her know he was in town. Mm. Eight hours before she decides to die, she sees her brother's friend, whom he did visit while in town. And the friend tells her off in front of everyone for Dang. abandoning their rock band eons ago. Mm. So her her brother's friend is like, hey, uh, Nora, remember when you abandoned our band, The Labyrinth? <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, I remember that 15 years ago. Yeah, well, you're a terrible person. He is still suffering. Yeah. He never um, made okay. anything out of himself yeah. since okay. then. Thank you. He never made anything out of himself and he blames her. Yeah. She was having panic attacks soon after they received a contract from Universal. And there was also something about her being engaged to Dan that added to this. Remember, Mm -hmm. that was the fiance she broke it off with. Somehow her engagement to Dan and the contract from Universal was a conflict of interest that was causing her panic attacks. So she quit the band, but promised to continue writing their songs. So she was doing a lot of the work creating the songs that were making them popular. Um, But when she quit, they lost the deal. They lost Mm -hmm. the record deal. And this friend blames her because he's now poor and cleaning pub toilets for money. Um, They have a row and part ways. Oh, right? wow. I love it. Yeah, I love, love having a wow. <laughs> right after that, she asked him to please tell her brother she says hi. Apparently, according to the friend, the brother is a little depressed like her. And this mm. thought hurts her that her brother could be feeling the pain that she's feeling. At that moment, she sees a copy of a cat magazine with a ginger on the cover. Mm. So her day is going. Also, one of the witnesses of the row she just had is an ex schoolmate. So a woman was like nearby was like, and she was like arguing with um, this guy, Dan, her brother's friend. Um, And the woman's like, Nora, is that you? Are you like an Olympic swimmer now? I remember you were such a good swimmer in high school. And Nora's like, "Uh, no, I'm standing in public arguing with people. (laughs) Don't you got eyes and ears? Um, Oh, okay, okay. Also, Nora, why don't you have kids by now? Like kids, husbands. Yeah, where's your husband? Like, I expected you to be so different. (laughs) How old are you again? You're 35, right? So the woman is. Yeah, the woman is saying all this stuff that you would think out loud. (laughs) She's just saying it. Her mouth is just saying saying all this vomit of words. So we went A, B, C, D, E. Hours before she decides to die, Nora was in free fall with no one to talk to. She texted her friend Izzy, who lived in Australia, but things had dried up between them and Izzy didn't respond. Five hours before she decides to die, she received a call. It was her piano student. She forgotten him and his mom, because, you know, Nora forgot their lesson, decided he should quit the lessons altogether. Nora is like, no, please, I'm getting so far with him. But it's over. The mom's like, nah, we're good. So Nora wanted a purpose. And you know what? Can I just say that all this sadness put on one character is hilarious. (laughs) 
I am thoroughly enjoying Nora's sadness at this point. Everything bad that could possibly happen and relatable stuff. Mm -hmm. All of it is happening to Nora and I'm bubbled over, doubled over, I should say, (laughs) laughing. It's not like that Bronte sadness where you're like laughing at Bronte. Um, Here I'm laughing, but I kind of feel like Matt might be laughing with me. We have a dark sense of humor, I've decided, me and the author. Um, So Nora, like, wants a purpose in her life, a reason to exist. But does she have one, Alexis? She doesn't think so. Mm -mm. She had all the chances to make something out of her life, she reasons, and felt that she had blew each and every one of them. So she writes a note and takes some pills. Part two, the Midnight Library. Nora looks at her watch. It's midnight. Moments later, she looks again. It's still midnight. Something must be wrong with her watch or with time itself somehow. She looks up and she's in front of a building that looks like an old church or some municipal building. There are five windows and a wooden door. She walks through the door. Inside, she sees no walls, only aisles and aisles and aisles of bookshelves. All the books are green and the smell is fresh and clean. Nothing like that old musty odor um, familiar with libraries that Alexis likes to go to. This is a very clean um, pine salt smelling library. Nora reaches for one of the books when she suddenly hears a voice. "Ah, ah, ah, Be careful, it says. When she turns around, she sees her old school librarian. The one she was playing game uh, board games with at the beginning of our story. Mrs. Elm, Mrs. Elm explains everything. So the thing is, between life and death, there is a library. Each book within that library is a chance for you to try another life and see if you would have made different choices had you lived that life. What would you do? Would you do anything differently if you had the chance to undo all the things you regret? Nora is incredulous. She can't even die right. (laughs) Now that part made me laugh like big time. (laughs) Nora's like another regret at this. I can't die right. But then Miss Elm explains death comes to you. You don't go to it. Most Mm. people who visit this library don't stay long because they either live or they die. You haven't done either. You might still die, okay? Cheer up, old chap. You can still die. There's still room for you. You just haven't yet. And I love this explanation because, I mean, there are people who have shot themselves in the head that just haven't died. And the thing with death, you can think you're choosing it, but it doesn't always work out the way you thought it would. Mm -hmm. Um, So death comes to you. You don't go to it, dummy. I did like that explanation. Yeah. So Nora thinks about the things she never was able to become. And it's a really long list, you guys. On that list, though, we'll name a few things. An Olympic swimmer, a glaciologist, a wife, a mother, a lead singer in a band, a capable cat owner, a truly good or truly happy person. She didn't even manage to become a dead person correctly. (laughs) So Miss Elm further explains that all of the books in the library, save for one, are all variations of not some stranger's life, but of Nora's. You see, her life could have ended up in an infinite amount of ways based on her circumstances and decisions. Each book begins at the exact same time, midnight, Tuesday, April 28th. The one book that's different from all the rest is a book titled The Book of Regrets. 
Part two. Oh, I already did part two, didn't I? Eh, don't yeah, pay we're too much attention three. to me. <laughs> part two B, the book of regrets. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, y'all, it's been a while since I read this book. <laughs> um, so Nora sits on the floor and begins to read the book she wrote without having to type a word. And that is the book of regrets. Mm. The regrets were not chronological because sometimes the same regret pops up and fades again in life. Regrets like these include, I regret not having children. Sometimes you regret it. Sometimes you don't. They all range from the minor. I regret not exercising today, for example, to the major. I regret not telling my father I loved him before he died. Nora walks us through the book and I'll read her thoughts now directly from the Midnight Library. She says, There were continual background regrets, which repeated on multiple pages. I regret not staying in the labyrinths. Remember the band because I Mm -hmm. let down my brother. I regret not staying in the labyrinths because I let down myself. I regret not doing more for the environment. I regret the time I spent on social media. I regret not going to Australia with Izzy. I regret not having more fun when I was younger. I regret all those arguments with dad. I regret not working with animals. I regret not doing geology at university instead of philosophy. I regret not learning how to be a happier person. I regret feeling so much guilt. I regret not sticking at Spanish. I regret not choosing science subjects in my A-levels. I regret not becoming a glaciologist. I regret not getting married. I regret not applying to a master's degree in philosophy at Cambridge. I regret not keeping healthy. I regret moving to London. I regret not going to Paris to teach English. I regret not finishing the novel I started at university. I regret moving out of London. I regret having a job with no prospects. I regret not being a better sister. I regret not having a gap year after university. I regret disappointing my father. I regret that I teach piano more than I play it. I regret my financial financial mismanagement. I regret not living in the countryside. Got it. Those are just a few. Yikes, man. The contents of these pages overwhelm Nora and she begins to feel worse than she did moments before overdosing on pills. Miss Elm, who is a lot more frank then the real Miss, the real Miss Elm that she remembers instructs Nora that she must close the book. She goes, no, no, no. This is too much for you. No one can do it for you. Nora must be the one to close her book of regrets. She then um, thinks of one regret, regret specifically, not marrying Dan. She was in love with him, right? He had a dream of opening a pub, a dream he put on hold to help care for her mom when her mom was dying of cancer. And that's not a question. She was in love with him. You've got a good one, Nora's mom had told her. Her mom planned on living long enough for their wedding, but was about four months short. Nora, of course, called off the wedding closer to the date. I think it was two days before we said. Two days, yeah. Really close. Now, or at least before she overdosed, Dan would send her text messages saying how much he missed her. He was a mess, lost without her. She could have loved him, she thought. She did love him. She did, didn't she? No, she did. It was the coward in her that made her call off the wedding. She wanted to live the life where they were married. So Miss Elm explained something further. If you choose a new life and found it's really where you should have ended up, if it really makes you happy, you'll stay there. So all remember, all these books on the shelves are other options of lives Nora could have led. If she starts reading one and it truly makes her happy, she will stay in that life. If not, however, if it doesn't make her happy, she'll find herself back at the library. And so the librarian, Mrs. Elm, pulls that book off the shelf for Nora, the book where she marries Dan. As Nora reads the first sentence of the book, it starts happening. 
she walked out of the pub into the cool night air. That's how that book starts. And she's transported into that life. Part three, we'll say. Part three, married life and dead cats. Nora finds herself standing outside. I'm looking at Zara while I'm saying dead cats. It's hilarious. So Nora finds herself standing outside of a pub at midnight. She owns the pub with Dan. They really did it. She's so proud of him. (laughs) She's proud of both of them. As she's standing outside the pub, employees of theirs are leaving, waving and making small talk with her. She's pretending to know their names and understand their references. You know, she just got transported into this life. She don't know nothing yeah, about these yeah. people. Apparently, there was a trivia game that night. The Three Horseshoes. That was the name of the pub. She was wearing a fancy watch. Her hair was longer and her body felt healthier than yes, you know it did in that yes. other terrible life. Even yes. her hands were smoother. She must be using a fancy cream because they own a she pub. Is, she is caring for herself. There we okay. go. Yep. She enters the bar and a cat wraps himself around her leg. His name is Voltaire. It's not the same Voltaire she remembers, but she picks him up and walks further into the bar. Soon he's standing in front of her. Dan, he's been Mm. drinking. He always drank, she remembered, um, but this time he's clearly over the line. She wondered if his dream to own a pub was just a dream to own an endless supply of liquor. Because now (laughs) she's remembering, oh, yeah, you kind of have a drinking problem. They purchased the bar with his inheritance money, along with other assets, but were a little underwater with the bank. Two years into ownership. So, you know, that's kind of normal that they're facing these financial um, issues. They're not, you know, huge issues. This is normal, actually, for a pub owner, restaurant owner. She knew one of the brainy trivia question um, answers when no one else did. And Dan laughs in a slightly cruel way because, Mm -hmm. as he puts it, while everyone was growing up listening to rock music, she was studying actual rocks. It's not a compliment the way he says it. He's trying Mm -hmm. to be mean. And then he wonders out loud, what's the name of a 20-sided polygon? He questions this out loud while making next week's quiz. She knows the answer, but she doesn't say, because in this life, it seems, she shrinks herself to make room for him and his ego. They live at the pub, so they go upstairs to their bedroom. He gargles, too loudly, by the way, in the bathroom while she stands in the middle of the room trying to get her bearings on this new life. What's wrong with you, he asks. She remembers him more clearly now, now that he's standing in front of her. The concern he showed for her before she quit the band um, that she was in with her brother, the Labyrinths, was the name of that band. His concern was partially selfish. Um, Very selfish. Yeah. Yeah. When they were on the verge of signing that deal with Universal, Dan made it clear that the band was her dream, not his. Mm -hmm. This especially hurt because she had made his pub dream her dream, too. Yeah. But he was like, oh, you really serious about that little stupid band for real? Um, so she learns that they're trying for a baby in this new life in a very scheduled unromantic way there's stress between them is this about Aaron Dan asks who (laughs) Nora thinks so when she was standing outside when she had been transported into this new life one of the employees was Aaron um, and she was speaking to her casually friendly um I don't want to be berated forever for a mistake I made one time, says Dan. Okay, he says, twice. Well. And she responds, 
like Casagon. <laughs> what? He says the quiz earlier, the 20 sided polygon. Well, a 20 sided polygon is called an Acasagon. I knew the answer, but didn't tell you because I didn't want you to mock me. And now I don't really care because I don't think me knowing some things that you don't should bother you. And also I'm going to the bathroom. Nora goes to the bathroom, looks at her reflection and says, see you later, loser. <laughs> and finds herself back at the library. So the really interesting thing about this, as soon as, and I, you mentioned it a little bit before, but as soon as you feel like uh, this ain't the place for me, it works. And you just get out of there. It's so easy to get out of there. This is the coolest library ever. <laughs> ever, ever. Just like, I'm going to end this book for me right now. I got to go. <laughs> Leave that other woman in there. I ain't doing it. <laughs> okay. So, um, <laughs> uh, now we're at one of my favorite parts in the book uh, where, um, so the thing is, Nora's talking a lot about her wants. I want this. I want, I want. Mm -hmm. She's in want of heart. Miss Elm informs Nora that want, the word W-A-N-T, means lack, L-A-C-K. Oh, wow. Sometimes if we fill that lack with something else, the original want disappears entirely. Nora asks Miss Elm to pull the book where Nora didn't let Volts out of the house, where she was a good cat owner, a capable one, and she made that cat stay inside instead of getting hit by a car. Um, Miss Elm pulls that book for her, and Nora finds herself in her old bed almost instantly as she's reading that book. Everything is as she remembers. She calls her cat and looks for him all over the house. Volts, Voltaire, Volts, but she can't find him. Then she looks under the bed. He's there. She reaches out and touches his cold body. She knows instantly he's dead. And she's back at the library again. Angry this time. Miss <laughs> Elm, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and Miss Elm is like, hold up, hold up, hold up, Nora. Let me explain something to you. Yes, explain it. I asked for the life in which Voltaire was still alive. Actually, you didn't. What? She put her book down. You asked for the life where you kept him indoors. That is an entirely different thing. Is it? Yes, entirely. You see, if you have asked for the life where he was still alive, I would have had to say no. But why? Because it doesn't exist. I thought every life exists. Every possible life, you see. It turns out that Voltaire had a serious case of, she read carefully from the book, restrictive cardiomyopathy. A severe case of it, which he was born with and which was destined to cause his heart to go at a young age. But he was hit by a car. There is a difference, Nora, between dying in a road and being hit by a car. In your root life, Voltaire lived longer than almost any other life, except the one you've just encountered where he died only three hours ago. Although he had a tough few early years, the year you had him was the best of his life. Voltaire has had much worse lives, believe me. You didn't even know his name a moment ago. Now you know he had a restrictive cardio whatever. I knew his name. And it wasn't a moment ago. It was the same moment. Check your watch. Why did you lie? I wasn't lying. I asked you what your cat's name was. I never said I didn't know what your cat's name was. Do you understand the difference? I just wanted you to say his name so that you would feel something. Nora was hot with agitation now. That's even worse. You sent me into that life knowing Volts would be 
dead and Volts was dead, so nothing changed. Miss Elm's eyes twinkled again. Except you. What do you mean? Well, you don't see yourself as a bad cat owner anymore. You looked after him as well as he could have been looked after. He loved you as much as you loved him, and maybe he didn't want you to see him die. You see, cats know. They understand when their time is up. He went outside because he was going to die, and he knew it. Nora tried to take this in. Now she thought about it, there hadn't been any external signs of damage on her cat's body. She had just jumped to the same conclusion that Ash had jumped to, that a dead cat on the road was probably dead because of the road. And if a surgeon could think that, a more layperson would think that too. Two plus two equals car accident. Poor Volts, Nora muttered mournfully. Miss Elm smiled, like a teacher who saw a lesson being understood. He loved you, Nora. You looked after him as well as anyone could. Go and look at the last page of the Book of Regrets. Nora could see that the book was lying on the floor. She knelt on the floor beside it. I don't want to open it again. Don't worry. It will be safer this time. Just stick to the last page. Once she had flicked to the last page, she saw one of her very last regrets. I was bad at looking after Voltaire. Slowly disappear from the page. The letters fading like retreating strangers in a fog. Part four, Olympic Glacier Mountains. Nora now tries the life where she pursued swimming, just like her father wanted her to do. Her father was right about her ability, by the way. In this life, she's an awarded Olympic swimmer, gold medal on the shelf. Her body is unbelievably fit. In fact, she looks at herself in the mirror and starts laughing like, I'm hot. (laughs) (laughs) She's like feeling her stomach like, oh. I am physically stronger than I've ever been in my life. <laughs> also, she's she retired. She's 35, right? Because she's 35 in every life. But in this life, she retired at just 28 years old and now makes likely millions of dollars as a public speaker. Her manager is her brother. That brother that she wasn't talking to in her original life or that wasn't talking to her. Well, now he's her manager. The same brother that was often high and estranged from her in the life she knew is a successful manager in this life, and she's not his only client, so he's got a few, although she did give him his start. She receives a call on her cell and answers it cautiously. It's her father's wife, and it's not her mom. Mm. Okay, so a woman answers, that woman is married to her father, and in this life, that's not her mom. In the life she knew, both of her parents were in an unhappy marriage before they both died, her mother from cancer and her father from poor health and heart problems. In this life, her mother is dead, yes, but her father is still alive and he's married to a woman he calls the love of his life. Mm. He hops on the phone and Nora can hardly contain herself. Dad, I love you. I didn't say it enough and I want you to know I love you. He's like, yep, got it. Is everything okay? She remembers how in the life she knew, she told him she didn't want to swim anymore. He was beyond disappointed. From that moment on, he looked at her like just another disappointment in his disappointing life. In this life, though, she was an Olympic swimmer. And being around her, a professional athlete, encouraged him to get healthy again. So he's not dead. He's not dead and he's healthy. He's not nurturing, though. And her feelings are not top priority for him. She learns he met his new wife through a swim coach. So one of her connections and started an affair while still married to her mom. Now 
Her mom is dead and her dad is happy. And he's being short with her on the phone because she's acting emotional. While also finding this out uh, that there was um, the, how he met his new wife, she finds out that there was an incident involving her and Portugal that everyone mentions in passing but doesn't talk about. They're just always like, I'm so sorry to hear what happened to you in Portugal. Yes. And she's like, uh, yeah, me too. That was crazy. She don't know what it was, but everyone <laughs> yeah, keeps no mentioning idea. it and talking around it. Yeah, no idea. She assumes, though, as she looks down at her self-inflicted scars around her wrist, that she tried to take her own life. She's deeply unhappy and no one really seems to care. So whatever that Portugal incident was, it was probably involving self-harm. Um, and everyone kind of talks around it because, you know, they want her to keep being great, successful and an opportunity starter for them. And another <laughs> thing um, is, and I don't think you mentioned it in the first one, in her first um, regret, okay. go back to, yeah, is me. that she noticed her antidepressant pills. And so in the first one, she noticed antidepressant pills. And also in the second account she's noticed that she takes antidepressant pills so when she was married to dan she was taking antidepressants mm -hmm. okay okay i actually don't remember that thank you okay and in this one she notices cuts on her wrist mm -hmm. and the antidepressant and, pills. And, okay okay mm -hmm. all right um she finds herself in a moment booked to give a speech and her brother is sitting in the front row of course she has no idea what she's supposed to say because <laughs> she didn't plan a speech that was the other her in this dimension <laughs> Um, quantum leap. So instead she talks about how achievements mean nothing. If the person you are inside is empty, mm. it's all smoke and mirrors, veneers. Don't believe it. And she's not saying this angrily. She's just letting them know. Yeah, I look successful. It's the lesson she's learned being in this life in such a short time that yes, I'm successful. And part of me is like, no, don't ruin it, Nora. This is the life we wanted. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but I'm like, this is kind of good. Uh, you can make it work. And she tells me and the crowd listening, listen, um, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. Don't believe it. And soon she's back in the library. Mm. Now it's time to pull the book for the life where she pursued her passion of becoming a glacial scientist. We'll make it quick, but there's some cool things about this life. Um, <laughs> she wakes up on a boat or not wakes up. She's transported and finds herself on a bo boat in the middle of nowhere. Nora is studying environmental changes due to climate change uh, with a group of dedicated scientists, 11 men, six women, women. She has a gun signifying that this is truly an adventure. It's like a long shot gun. She's on a boat studying glaciers <laughs> and she's like, I'm the bomb, right? So in the dining hall, she meets Ugo Lefebvre. He walks up to her and introduces himself. She's relieved she won't have to pretend to know his name. He's read her paper on pulsating glaciers and it blew his mind, he says. She learns from him that they've been on the boat for three days. There's no night this time of year. They're in a part of the world where the sun never completely sets. But she soon finds out when they all step out onto an icy island that her job tonight is to watch for polar bears <laughs> while the others performed field work. So she's got to watch for bears while they're taking samples. She was to fire a flare if she sees a bear to warn the others and to also scare the bear away. That's what that flare is supposed to do. And by the way, the flare doesn't always work like the bear could eat you. Um, but 
If the flare don't work, use that rifle. Use that gun. That's what it's for. Okay. Shoot the bear. Shoot the bear. Okay. Ingrid, a friend she made when she first arrived, but supposedly um, have has known for like a long time, assures her that you'll be fine as long as you aren't uh, menstruating. <laughs> oh, because the bears can smell blood for miles right. away. Bye. <laughs> the quiet made her realize how much noise there was elsewhere in the world. Here, noise had meaning. You heard something and you had to pay attention. As she was chewing, there came another splashing sound, but this time from a different direction. The combination of fog and weak light made it hard to see, but it wasn't a walrus. That became clear when she realized the silhouette moving towards her was big. Bigger than a walrus, and much bigger than any human. The fog cleared to reveal a huge white bear standing upright. It dropped down on all fours and continued moving toward her with surprising velocity and a heavy and terrifying grace. Nora did nothing. Her mind was jammed with panic. She was as still as the permafrost she stood on. Darn. Darn, darn. Darn, 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 darn. Darn, 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 darn. Eventually, a survival impulse kicked in and Nora raised the signal pistol and the flare shot out like a tiny comet and disappeared into the water, the glow fading along with her hope. The creature was still coming towards her. She fell to her knees and started clanging the ladder against the saucepan and shouted at the top of her lungs, Bear! 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 The bear stopped momentarily. Bear! 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 It was now walking forward again. The banging wasn't working. The bear was close. She wondered if she could reach the rifle lying on the ice, just slightly too far away. She could see the bear's fast-pawed feet, armed with snow, pressing into the snow-dusted rock. Its head was low and its black eyes were looking directly at her. Library, Nora screamed. Mrs. M, please send me back. This is the wrong life. It, it is really, really, really wrong. Take me back. I, I, don't, I don't want your adventure. Where's the library? I want the library. There was no hatred in the polar bear stare. Nora was just food, meat. And that was a humbling kind of tower. Her heart pounded like a drummer reaching the crescendo, the end of a song and it became astoundingly clear to her, finally, in that moment. She didn't want to die. And that was the problem. In the face of death, life seemed more attractive. And as life seemed more attractive, how could she get back to the Midnight Library? She had to be disappointed in life, not just scared of it, and in order to try again with another book. There was death, violent, oblivious death, in bare form staring at her with its black eyes. And she knew then, more than she'd known anything, that she wasn't ready to die. I'm not scared, Nora repeats to herself. She made as much noise as possible and then closed her eyes. When she opened them, she watched as the bear dived into the water away from her body. You know what? At this point in the book, I'm like, how close was this bear? And were you just scared? But whatever. It's a polar bear. Yeah, yeah, no. Justified. Justified. Good point. But Nora is like feeling alive. And Mm -hmm. more than that, in that moment, she wants to live. And that's where I'm like, oh, this is the life for you. Duh. This is what you should have been. 
in this place with nature and without the distraction of a metropolis, you know, without a city life to distract her, she's found her desire to live. She was with a group of people trying to protect Earth and the people on it. It was an intense life. It wasn't bland or mediocre like her previous life at that guitar songbook shop. Um, This is the (laughs) life she wants to live. Back to their land-based accommodations, Ugo, remember him, jogs to catch up with her and they start walking side by side. He tells her what he's noticed. First, at breakfast, she didn't seem to know who he was. She has also been obviously improvising all day. (laughs) And Nora's like, hey, Ugo, um, shut up. Stop being creepy, okay? And she says it seriously. It's the shock from the bears, the shock. It's the shock. I'm in shock. Okay, go away. But he's not deterred. And he asks a simple question. Hey, Nora. Oh, he's French. Uh, Pardon, Nora. Why do glaciers pulsate? Name one of the glaciers around here. Mm. That's a great French accent, you guys, if you didn't know. It is. I'm loving it. Okay. (laughs) He's like that. It's fantastic. And he's like, that paper you wrote that blew me away about pulsating glaciers. Yeah, what was it about? And he's like, and she's like, um, Ugo, you are creepy. Go away. I hate you. And then he says one thing. Hey, Nora, you're not the, oh, uh, pardon, Nora. You're not the same person you were yesterday. And he knows because he too is a different person. He too has visited the library, not her library, his library. And he has been in this life for five days. (laughs) (laughs) Nora didn't particularly like, like Hugo, but she met him for a private chat because she had to hear what he had to say. Okay. So they meet secretly and with uh, Hugo, she finds or Hugo, whatever, um, that his library isn't a library. It's a video store. And she's like, ha, your life is a video store. How, how dare she? How dare she? Just laugh she at my after her experiences. She is like, you got a video store and it don't even exist anymore. Right. Your, uh, life is, your library is dumb. And every life he chooses is an old VHS that he plays right in the store. <laughs> um, but he makes Dying something... Them. He he makes some things clear for her. People like them, like him and Nora, are called sliders. There are others like them. It can be explained in a physics theory, um, an open quantum wave function. We all know quantum leap, right? That's a little bit, a chunk of that. Mm -hmm. Um, There are basically other dimensions existing simultaneously with theirs. And in those dimensions, they are living, dying, living and dying. She sees a library with a librarian she recognizes because that's what her mind can handle. She, in this conversation, decides, Hugo, you kind of beautiful in your eyes. <laughs> so yesterday he tells her she was exquisite, intelligent and beautiful, just as she is today. He's mm. lived over 300 lives. 300. 300. What if one day you disappear for good before you find a life you can settle in? She asks. Then I'll die, he says. He loves the noncommittal life of a slider. You know, I'm just he's a weirdo, by the way. He's not just sliding in these lives, you know, acting like I know what's going on. And it's great. I've done it 300 times. And then she did something her old self would never have done. She kisses Hugo. But she soon finds him to be disappearing and she's back in the library. And she's like, fine. Yeah, you're right. I didn't really like it. There. <laughs> but he was cute in the eyes. 
fame five <laughs> fame i want to live forever she chooses one word to choose the next book she uses one word to choose the next book fame and then she finds herself behind stage with the labyrinths. Her brother's friend hey. who told her off in the past life is with her and her brother. She can't find him. He's not with the band. But anyway, it's time for an encore. 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 The crowd is screaming. They're doing great. She's on stage and she has no idea what to do. Uh, let's do Howl, says Robbie. She don't know that song. So she calls an audible. And they sing Bridge Over Trouble Water, which is the song mm. she wrote that she knows. They're in Brazil, by the way. And she feels so powerful. She closes her eyes and sings. She felt like Cleopatra. Nora had uh, over like 11 million Instagram followers. And she looks great. She's like cool in this life. Um, the Ryan Bailey, the celebrity from her fantasies in the old life. She's dating him now. <laughs> okay. Hey. Hey. Yeah, he's shooting um, on location and they FaceTime. And she's like trying to not freak out because the celebrity is FaceTiming her. Because in this life, apparently they're just dating and it's normal. <laughs> Um, but then she finds out he's in therapy and they're no longer together. Wait, she broke up with him. What? <laughs> and he's grateful for it. He's like, thank you for breaking up with me. It forced me into therapy and I'm so happy. And she's like, wait, what? I broke up with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you really helped me realize that I need to get my life together. Um, he's also like very hippy dippy and kind of dumb. Um, she posed for a selfie with her fans. And one of them says that one of her songs, a song she had written as a teenager, saved his life. They have tattoos of her in her honor. Um, it's time for her podcast interview. She learns um, more things about this version of Nora. First of all, she has a restraining order against Dan. Remember Dan, the mm -hmm. guy she broke it off with in her previous life. Dan had claimed he wrote one of her songs and he broke into her home and he was like really crazy and mean and she has a restraining order against him. And can we refer to it as a root life? Because it's her root life. Yes, thank you. Because I'm confusing myself. So in her <laughs> root life, she broke it off with Dan two days before their wedding. In this life, he's a stalker and um, she has a restraining <laughs> order against him. She had to take legal action and she made a song called Get Out of My Life. It did well. <laughs> Also, she has a very stressful life. Um, she was in rehab for some incident in Toronto. We can assume it's self-harm. And most importantly, she learns that her brother was a big part of her life until he died two years ago. Mm. Well, in all fairness, dying hurts people too. Now, what life do you want to choose next? I don't. What? I don't want another book. I don't want another life. Mrs. Elm's face went pale, like it had done all those years ago when she got the call about Nora's dad. Nora felt it trembling beneath her feet, a minor earthquake. She and Mrs. Elm held onto the shelves as books fell to the floor. The lights flickered and then went dark completely. The chessboard and table tipped over. Oh no, said Mrs. Elm, not again. What's the matter? You know what the matter is. This whole place exists because of you. You are the power source. When there's a severe disruption in that power source, the library is in jeopardy. It's you, Nora. You are giving up at the worst possible moment. You can't give up, Nora. You have more to offer, more possibilities, more opportunities to have. There are so many versions of you out there. Remember how you felt after the polar bear? Remember how much you wanted life? The polar bear, the polar bear. 
Even these bad experiences are serving a purpose, don't you see? She saw. The regrets she had been living with most of her life were wasted ones. Yes, the minor earthquake subsided, but there were books scattered everywhere, all over the floor. The lights had come back on, but still flickered. I'm sorry, said Nora. She started trying to pick up the books and put them back in place. No, snapped Mrs. M. Don't touch them. Put them down. Sorry. And stop saying sorry. Now, you can help me with this. This is safer. She helped Mrs. M pick up the chess pieces and set up the board for a new game. Put in the table back in place, too. What about all the books on the floor? Are we just going to leave them? Why do you care? I thought you wanted them to disappear completely. Mrs. Elm may well have just been a mechanism that existed in order to simplify the intricate complexity of the quantum universe. But right now, sitting down between the half-empty bookshelves near her chessboard set up for a new game, she looked sad and wise and infinitely human. I didn't mean to be so harsh, Mrs. Elm managed eventually. That's okay. I remember when we started playing chess in the school library. You used to lose your best player straight away, she said. You'd go and get the queen or the rooks right out there, and they'd be gone. And then you would act like the game was lost because you were just left with pawns in a night or two. Why are you mentioning this now? Mrs. M saw a loose thread on her cardigan and tucked it inside her sleeve, then decided against it and let it loose again. You need to realize something if you are ever to succeed at chess, she said, as if Nora had nothing bigger to think about. And the thing you need to realize is this. The game is never over until it is over. It isn't over if there's a single pawn still on the board. If one side is down to a pawn and a king, and the other side has every player, there is still a game. And even if you were a pawn, maybe we all are, then you should remember that a pawn is the most magical piece of all. It might look small and ordinary, but it isn't. Because a pawn is never just a pawn. A pawn is a queen in waiting. All you need to do is find a way to keep moving forward, one square after another, and you can get to the other side and lock all kinds of power. The lesson, the thing that looks the most ordinary might be the thing that leads you to victory. Nora pulls thousands of books with the help of Miss Elm and lives thousands of lives. She sees it all, does it all. She realized that she once tried to end her life because she saw no way out of her misery, but living thousands of lives, she let go of that fear and uses her ma imagination when living. Um, but she was losing the knowledge of who she was, who she truly was in her root life. Even her name sounds like nothing, Nora like air, like a whisper. She was forgetting who she was. As Miss Elm puts it, by living all these lives, Nora was living no life. She needed to go back to the book of regrets. Nora chooses the book where she chose Ash as her partner. Ash was the guy, the doctor that showed up at her door to tell her her cat died in her root life. Um, she, she chooses the life where she went out on that date with him that he asked her for years ago. And this, you guys, is my favorite life ever. It is. She wakes up, feels her finger, and there's a wedding engagement and wedding band on it, two rings on it, and a man next to her in bed, and he is cute. <laughs> and she's like, I got to look at myself to make sure I look like me. What is this life? So she tiptoes to the bathroom, but on her way, a little girl stops her. Mommy, I had a nightmare. At first, Nora's like, ooh. Oh, 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 yes. Um, she's like, I'm not going to look at your face, little girl, because I'm not even your real mom and it doesn't seem fair to you. Um, but it seems wrong since she isn't 
you know, since the girl is asking her for help and in this life, she is the mom. And the girl is insistent. Mommy, she says, I had a dream about bears and I'm scared. Nora looks down at this little kind child with a perfect face and she decides I'm going to be your mom. And she said, first she said, go to bed. Just go. It's <laughs> not be even looking life. at her. Like, go go to bed. on now. Go just get back in the bed. It's going to go away. Okay. Just go on now. I got something to do. One of the things Nora does in all her stories is she looks herself up. She tries to go to Facebook. She goes to Instagram. She just checks social media and does a web search to see who she is, if she's anybody, and what she can find out about herself. But so in this life, do she doesn't that. have to do that because she's laying on the carpet with the little girl and tells the little girl, let's play a game. <laughs> I'll ask a question and you tell me the answer. And the questions Nora asks are like, what's mommy's name? <laughs> <laughs> and the little girl is like, Nora. <laughs> so the um, uh, Nora goes, and what's your name, little girl? <laughs> Molly. And what is daddy's name? <laughs> Daddy. No, no, girl, I need his real name. <laughs> I need the facts, little girl. <laughs> and Molly's like, Ash. Well, that was a successful coffee date, Nora thinks. <laughs> and where do we live? Cambridge. It's all making sense. Nora's always liked Cambridge and she was only a few miles from it in her root life. And Ash must have liked it too. And that's where they live with a little girl named Molly, a little perfect girl. Um, and Nora works at Cambridge or at least she used to, used to. before mm-hmm. she uh, quit that job to be a full-time writer. Um, and do, do Ash and uh, Nora ever argue? Yeah, sometimes, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> so they're like really in love also uh molly is very close to her uncle that would be nora's brother who is happy in his life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i'm like okay okay this is the life we want nora finally i knew you should have went out with ash i felt that from the beginning in the root life <laughs> ash wakes up and apologizes like you shouldn't have had to stay up with molly honey he's like fine and thoughtful and nerdy he is uh like obviously very cute kind thoughtful dorky kind of dork kind kind of dork Nora begins living this life this life where she's married to ash and they have a little girl you can't help but love in this life her brother joe is married happily and her daughter knows him well they visit her brother and she apologizes to him for dropping out of the band years ago and he's surprised like Okay, well, I apologize, too. I wasn't sensitive enough to your panic attacks until his husband started having panic attacks, too. Um, What's her brother's name? Joe. I don't remember. It's Joe. Joe didn't understand that they were real, (laughs) but he's happy and they all love each other. Her parents are still dead, but she has a group of people who matter to her and she matters to them. She matters to them. And her marriage isn't perfect, but it's amazing. It's perfect for her. One day while playing with Molly, the girl falls on a rock and she, this little girl who's scared of a dream about bears, fights back tears and says aloud repeatedly that it's okay. I fell, but it's okay. Mm. And Nora is like, oh my goodness, little girl, you're like resilient too. I love you even more. And then Nora starts to feel something inside of her all at once. And that thing is love. It like bubbles in her. So each evening, Nora regrets going to to sleep because she's afraid she's going to miss a moment of this life. Everything about this life, even the not so great things, she loves it. 
This life she loves. She's successful and she feels fulfilled. She wakes up ready to live, surrounded by people that bring her joy. But she feels like a fraud. But one thing about this is the only difference between, well, this is one of the difference between all the other um, lives she's tested out is that she doesn't have any antidepressants in her purse in the house at all. Thank you so much. Cause I didn't even notice that consistent strain mm-hmm. through all her lives. So this yeah. is a life where she's not harming herself and she's not on antidepressants. Right. This really seems like the perfect life. She decides to take a day trip to a nearby town. It's the town she lived in, in her root life in that root life, by the way, um, she was also looking out for her neighbor and she would like, talk to him, run little errands for him. That was in her root life. In that life, uh, she used to pick up her neighbor's prescriptions and again, check in on him. In this life, he's in a nursing home and has no idea who she is, which she can handle. Also though, Miss Elm is dead in this life, for sure dead. Also the boy she used to give piano lessons to, he's a delinquent, often arrested by police officers. She's like, okay, okay, okay. But I can handle all this, right? Because I have people who love me and my little girl is perfect and I love my husband. She goes back home. This life, it's wonderful, but it isn't hers. And she knows that leaving her husband and little girl, they'll still be cared for by her. You know, she can leave this life. Mm -hmm. She will still be there. But in the moment, she feels herself returning to the library. Mm. When she gets back to the library, it's like falling apart. (laughs) And we didn't talk about this, but there was a time when she got back to the library from a previous life. And Miss Elm was like freaking out because the computer systems were down. And that kind of hints to the reader that maybe Nora's dying. Yeah. And because if she died, the library don't exist. Um, So Nora right now isn't dead, even though she's tried to take her own life in her root life. And that's what allows her to transport into these other lives. But if she actually dies, the library won't exist. So when she returns from her, what I'm gonna call perfect life, it seemed the (laughs) library is literally caving in. Uh, There's fires, there's an explosion and she must find her way out and back to her root life. Can you explain how she does that? Mm, um, Mrs. Elm directs her to another book that she must get to. And so when she gets to that book, it's a blank book. And so she opens the book and she's like, well, what do I do? And she starts trying to start the story um, to pick up. Yeah, it's not written for her. She has to think of it herself. And it's that Mm -hmm. it's that moment after she overdosed. Yeah. And so she wakes up in her root life. Her will say real life. Mm-hmm. She's in a hospital bed. Who's next to her, Alexis? Well, she woke up at home and oh. she goes to the neighbor and the neighbor immediately calls the a hospital and then she passes out and then she's in the um, hospital and she wakes up. And Joe is next to her. He read this like really scary post she wrote on social media mm-hmm. and rushed to be by her side. Joe is her brother. Aww. And so um, can you explain how the book ends? (laughs) (laughs) The book ends with her choosing happiness and recognizing that she could choose to be happy. She goes back. She's in her root life. She just she reaches out to the woman um, who canceled when she was given the lessons to. And begs her to start up those lessons again for her son, who remember in the perfect life was a delinquent. 
And yeah. so she's like, no, we, we can, this, this is an outlet for this boy and he has an amazing talent. I made a mistake, but please trust me. And the mom is like, yeah, well, that's fine. Cause I only wanted to end the lessons cause I was like frustrated in the moment, but I guess we can continue mm-hmm. something like that. Right. Yep, That's what she said. And the neighbor that was in the home um, is still living in his house because she can pick up his prescriptions for him. Mm-hmm. And they like wave to each other when they see each other. So she's useful to his life in a way that yeah. she didn't realize before. And that rift between her and her brother, Joe is coming back to me. Is mm-hmm. not, um, inco- in- irreconcilable. They right. reconcile and they make apologies to each other. And yeah. Joe, he's back on track. He like went to rehab. He's um, doing better. And, yeah, he has sad moments, but he too sees that life is worth living and he's looking forward to the future. And in this life, there's authentic authenticity. She sees that everything isn't perfect, but this is the life she can do something with. And she has um, opportunity in front of her. She can, like you said, choose happiness. And so she does. Anything else I should bring out about that ending? No, that's it. Okay. That's, that's funny. All right. Well, then the end. You ready to take a break? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And we're back. Alexis, what were your final thoughts on the Midnight Library? And would you recommend this book? I actually really enjoyed the book. It was funny. Um, I, I saw like seeing the consistent threads with the medication um, and how she saw herself in life um, and all the things that is, she was living up to expectations and it were other people's expectations. And she reminded by the end, she reminded herself that that's not what she should be doing. It's just you know, it's my life and I get to choose to be happy and this is how I can live it. And so um, I enjoyed the book. I would definitely recommend this book. It is a good read. I can see why there's so many holds on it at the library. I can, I can yeah. see it. It's there. Um, it's, um, it was very interesting to me. I appreciated it. So how about you? Would you recommend it? Um, I think this book is obviously written from somewhere, someone who's been there. And made the choices necessary to get out of that dark place. Um, and that is written so beautifully in the machine of the library. I think mm-hmm. this is such an ingenious idea. It's something I've never, I've never read a book like this before. Um, and there are right. so many universal truths in it. Um, and in the end, I love the lesson that a life worth living isn't about making the right choices every time. It's right. about um, seeing opportunity and um, appreciating it's like what you said like when you appreciate what you have then what you have appreciates and value that can mm-hmm. apply to people too so as she valued her relationship with her neighbor and those little things she did for him she had no idea how that was sustaining his life but it was and it reminds me that um your life everyone's life is much more valuable than they realize to everyone mm-hmm. else Yeah. Um, So I wanted to mention a few things here uh, from the CDC and other sources. First of all, depression is like a common cold because anyone can come down with it. But recovery is possible. 
Also, like we said, your life is important to others. You may face situations that make you feel that you're completely alone and that your death would matter to no one. But remember, though, there's a big difference between feeling alone and being alone. And people who love you, if you take your life, will never be over your death, period. They will be triggered by things that you used to say or just thoughts about you and cry uncontrollably for years. Mm. Yep. Yep. These are real. This is this book is it has so much emotion behind it and feeling. So we are both experiencing that today. We truly are. You guys really touched by this book. So how can we help someone that seems suicidal? Be a good listener. Let them express how they feel, even if it's like wild talk. Don't um, overreact to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Allow them to talk to you. And in many cases, though, a suicidal person is withdrawn and not communicative. So acknowledge the reality of the pain or hopelessness that he is undergoing. If you gently mention some particular changes that you've noticed in their behavior, it may move them to open up and confide in you, but it may not. So. Um, while listening, you know, show empathy. It's important to stress that a person's life is important to you and to others. And this is from this part is from the CDC. Let them know how their death would devastate you as well as others. When someone commits suicide, family members and close friends suffer severe mental turmoil. Period. Sometimes it's simply impossible to discern what another person is thinking or feeling. Um, Many suicidal people just can't adequately adequately communicate their innermost feelings, even to close family members. Mm -hmm. So just because they didn't tell you how they were feeling, it doesn't mean they didn't love you. They did. But for anyone out there who's contemplating suicide, do not do it. You have no idea how much pain people who love you will go through forever. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend this book and I enjoyed it and, uh, it just took myself to a very dark place, but this Mm -hmm. book did not take me there. It's just talking Mm -hmm. about it with a friend. Um, someone in my family took their life and, you know, I just wouldn't want anyone else to ever go through that. You know, life can be hard sometimes, but it's always worth living always. And like Alexis said at the beginning, we can choose happiness. So sorry, you guys. I didn't mean to make that so sad. (laughs) But um, this book was not sad. I want to emphasize that. And I would definitely recommend it. Thanks. Yeah, it's not sad, but it definitely triggers some emotions. I feel strongly about that. Um, I enjoyed every minute of it and and giggled quite a bit throughout. But um, it, it just, you know, brings up some stuff. So. All right then, that's <laughs> it. That's it. Yeah. What are we reading next week? We are reading White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. Yes. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We'll look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcast, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you so much. <laughs> if you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Until next time, read Read something. something.
If you or someone you know is struggling with depression, help is available. Speak with someone today by dialing 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255.